Exploring faith journeys and inspiring ministries that embody the good news of God, this is the Cumberland Road. I'm your host, T.J. Milanowski. Today we have with us Reverend Patrick Wilkerson. He's an ordained minister in the Cumberland Presbyterian Church, and he is serving as a missionary in Columbia, South America, for almost three years, right? Uh, just over three years. Now. Over three years. Mm-hmm. He's married to Jessica, and they have two daughters, Bella and Jacqueline. Hello, Patrick. Hello. How are you? How are you? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> oh, um, let's jump right in. Okay. Can you recall uh, the first encounter that you had with God? Yeah, this is always a an interesting topic. In fact, I remember in high school being in youth group and our youth pastor um, doing an activity where we had to work on our testimony and be prepared to share it. And I always struggled with it because I felt like I had such a boring testimony. And I learned now, like the good stuff just came later. The hard stuff came later (laughs) in my life. But, um, you know, I, I was born into the CP church and because of our doctrine, our faith, we do infant baptism. I can't remember a time not being exposed to God. I've got CP ministers and elders on both sides of my parents' family. So kind of go back in the CP church for generations. Um, My parents always were working with youth groups and doing things within the church. So it's really hard for me to think of my first experience with God. But I can think about when it became real for me, when it, um, when I realized that God was moving in my life, when I realized that maybe a call was starting, um, and that would go back to high school. And I went on my first mission trip to Mexico. And really this is the start of an interest and call into missions, which led me and my wife to where we are now in Columbia. And it's really interesting because at this time I was living in Kansas City. My family moved around a ton because of my dad's job. And uh, I was not in the CP church at the time because there were no CP churches in Kansas City. But um, my wife, Jessica, is from Tennessee and grew up in the Baptist church. And her experience and calling interest began with the mission trip to Mexico as well. So it's kind of interesting how that's worked out in both of our relationships. But I remember being in Mexico and we were in the countryside. We weren't in the city and we were just sitting in a Pueblo working. And uh, I remember constantly working with that. um, We had homemade tortillas, flour tortillas and glass bottle Cokes. And I didn't understand a single thing they were saying, but we were interacting. And I remember thinking, um, you know, doesn't get much better than this. And reflecting on how God worked throughout the week and feeling like God was really active in my life, that even in that moment, God was helping me somehow communicate with these guys as we were building a wall of cement and blocks. It was later on the next year that I went to a big youth conference um, with my youth group. And I remember sitting in an arena and um, this was with the Evangelical Covenant Church. 
and every year they have a thing called chick it's similar to the cumberland presbyterian uh triennium or cpyc it's when all the people from the denomination come together and have a youth conference and it was in knoxville tennessee actually and i remember saying at the beginning of that week that i was going to pray all week to try to figure out what god wanted me to do with my life I was getting all the pressures from teachers and school saying, it's time to think about college. It's time to think about what you want to do. And I had a few things on my mind that I wanted to do. I wanted to, I wanted to be a teacher in high school and coach either baseball or wrestling. Um, I thought about being a police officer. I thought about going into the military. I had all these ideas of things I wanted to do, but ministry, kind of always was knocking on the door and I didn't really want to do it because I was very close to my grandfather who was a CP minister and I knew it was a hard life so I didn't I wasn't sold on it (laughs) and um, I spent that week dedicating every worship every time I thought about it to asking God what he wanted me to do Um, the last the last evening had the big, you know, the build up for the big experience with God. And so the last evening as, as everything was building up and um, they had, they didn't have an altar call, but they had a, a time where you could go down and they did a, a anointing with oil. And, and um, it was a really interesting moment and really a powerful moment. I remember, I remember feeling like the presence of God was there with us. And uh, as I was leaving the arena, I was walking with my youth pastor and everybody else had gone ahead of us. And if you've ever been on the campus of UT, there are hills. And I just remember walking up this hill thinking this hill is never gonna end. And my youth pastor saying, Patrick, I feel like I need to talk to you about ministry. And that was it. That was my answer. Like that was my proof that God was present. And that was an answer to me all week. I was praying, what do you want me to do? And he said, I I feel like I need to talk to you about ministry. And to me, that was all the answer. I said, enough said, thank you. You know, (laughs) like that. (laughs) Yeah. Really? You didn't dive any deeper. No, we didn't. And because I told him, I said, I, I told him, I said, that's what I've been looking for. And that was, you know, as we talk about callings, I'm on the committee of ministry and, and I know you know about this, but as we talk about callings, we talk about inner callings and outer callings. And that was the outer calling that confirmed everything I was wrestling with inside. And uh, so we literally, we didn't talk any more about it. And I just, I told him that I had been praying about it. And to me, that was my answer. But to be honest, at that point, I didn't know what that looked like, but that was okay with me. I've always had a faith where I know God provides. I've seen it happen. Uh, I saw it within my family, and they taught me to believe this way. God provides. When you need to know, you'll know. And from that moment on, I said, God, I will go where you want me to go. Just lead me and help me do it. And so at that moment, truthfully, I didn't know 
I knew I was going into ministry. I didn't know if that meant I was going to be a senior pastor. Didn't know if that meant I was going to be a missionary. Didn't know if that meant I was just going to be a youth pastor or a chaplain or I didn't know. Um, at that time, I spent all of my youth group years in the evangelical covenant church. And so the next step for me, the next step for ministry and in my life was to go to college. And I was actually enrolled, had a roommate and everything ready to go to their college in Chicago called North Park University. And um, I would spend my summers from the time I was about 12 years old and up, I would go every summer and spend time with my grandparents. And, um, you know, now I cherish those times, but I would do yard work all day with my grandfather and and then uh, my grandmother would actually teach me how to cook in the evenings and, and uh, even taught me how to do cross stitch. I can cross stitch, you know, <laughs> and, and I really enjoyed those times. And so my summers were always youth events and then times with my grandparents. Um, my older brother, James, he's three years older than I am. He was already in college when I was getting ready to go to college. And he was looking for a change. He, he wanted a change of atmosphere. He wanted a change in the school, major, everything. And I was at my grandparents' house in Kentucky. Uh, they lived outside Paducah. And um, they, my brother called me and said, hey, Patrick, just let you know, I'm coming to Paducah. And next week, I'm going to go look at Bethel. And I said, okay. Back then, it was Bethel College. And I said, well, I'll go with you. Well, we both went and we did our tour. We applied, went to lunch. And by the time we got back from lunch, we were accepted <laughs> to, to go to Bethel. And like I said, if you remember, I already had a roommate. I already paid my deposit and everything to go to North Park University. And my, my grandfather uh, for years would say, you should consider Bethel. You should consider Bethel. You know, half my family went to Bethel. Half the, my, I mean, my grandparents met and got married at Bethel. And then one of my aunt, she met her husband at Bethel. It was just kind of the family thing to do. And I just said, no, I don't want to go. And he'd say, well, you'll get a free laptop. And I said, no, <laughs> I don't care. I don't want to go to Bethel. And, um, I ended up going there and, you know, truthfully, I don't know why at that time, my brother and I weren't very close. Uh, we had the kind of relationship that if he was inter interested in basketball, I played baseball. Uh, if um, he was interested in cars to this day, I don't know much about cars. It was kind of, we did opposite things. And, um, but we went to Bethel together, by the way, we were accepted. We did our our uh, tour and were accepted only about three weeks before school started. Oh, so we wow. went, <laughs> we returned back to Kansas City, packed up all of our stuff and returned back to Bethel. And uh, we moved in a little early when all the athletes moved in because there were parts of the process of being admitted that we still had to do. So they told us, well, just come and then you'll do it while you're here. Um, <laughs> Bethel's changed a lot <laughs> since this time. <laughs> um, it wasn't 
maybe a month or two after school started that uh, we received a phone call from my mom and my dad saying that my mom had cancer. And in that moment, it made sense to me why Bethel and why my brother and I all of a sudden had a, a new friendship and we went to school together and Bethel was so small, we truly were just in community with each other. And looking back, even when it happened, I remember thinking, okay, this is why we're here so that we can be here together. Uh, and truthfully, about two, less than two years after we were at Bethel and after my mom was diagnosed with cancer, she passed away. And um, I can't imagine being in a better community than where I was at Bethel for that. Um, and being with my brother, it just, to me, has always been a thing where God was providing and God was present with me. And even though I didn't know the answers, I could rely on the fact that God was taking care of all the small details. Um, and Bethel was great to us. Uh, I remember going into classes and then praying for my mom and before every class. And when my mom passed away, they were still living in Kansas City, my parents. And um, we had a funeral in Kansas City and then we had a funeral in Paducah and she was buried in Paducah. And when we had the funeral in Paducah, Bethel said, if anybody wants to go to the Wilkerson funeral, let us know. And they brought two vans full of, of friends of ours to, wow. to my mother's funeral. So just such a powerful time for, for us to be at Bethel. Um, we both really enjoyed it. To me, I grew a lot. I created friendships I still have today. And even though it was not what I was thinking and not what I was planning and not what I wanted my whole life ended up being exactly what I needed. Um, after Bethel, I did go to Memphis Theological Seminary. Actually took about nine months off. I graduated in December and went, started in next fall at MTS. And even at this point, I wasn't 100% sure what I wanted to do. Over the years, I started working with youth groups. And one thing was very clear to me that I loved God, that I love youth, and that I love missions. And anytime I could combine those three things, um, I really felt like I was doing what God wanted me to do hmm. and really felt like I was doing what I was called to do. Um, and again, not knowing in this time, still being like, what am I going to be when I grow up? What am I going to do when I grow up? <laughs> and, um, but my grandfather, who was the minister, uh, always said, Patrick, finish at Bethel, go to MTS, be ordained, and everything will fall in place. And once you have that ordination, if you, if you feel like God's calling you to do youth ministry, you can still do that with the ordination. If you feel like God's calling you into missions, you can do that with your ordination. Uh, if you feel like you want to preach every Sunday and be the head pastor at a church, you can do that with your ordination. Just continue with the process. And truthfully, if it wasn't for him, uh, when I took that nine break, nine month break in between Bethel and uh, MTS, I 
I got a really good job with some friends that started a construction company and we were building houses and doing um, remodels and stuff. And I loved it. And I got really comfortable and I started telling myself, Oh, you know, I can be a leader with the youth group and be content and um, you know, a volunteer or I can teach a Bible study at a church and be content. And uh, you know, I started the process of being a candidate to be ordained when I was at Bethel. So I was already four or five years into the process. And my grandfather called me one day and it was just probably a month before classes started at MTS. And he said, Patrick, you made a commitment. It's time to follow through. And <laughs> he knew, he knew, he knew, he knew. <laughs> and, uh, you know, since then he's passed away, I would love to have these conversations with him because, you know, he has been such a huge influence in the journey to becoming a minister and, and just my faith in general. And not only him, you know, just many people in my family, but I mean, you know how it is. It, it's one thing to talk about ministry with a friend. And it's another thing to talk ministry with another minister. You know, you just kind of connect on a different level. Um, so it would be something to be able to talk to him about these things now. Uh, so I went to MTS and um, at that point I had just kind of had internships or worked summers with different youth groups and midway into my first um, year at MTS, I got a job at a church outside Nashville. And it was a good thing because up until then I was working in the library at MTS, which I loved. I absolutely loved it. But I think I was limited to 15 hours a week and a salary of uh, 7.82 an hour. So the, the ramen noodles were getting, <laughs> getting tiring and uh, I lived on in campus housing, but not with anybody. And so I had friends that would come and uh, they would come for class and they would stay the night and their rent was, they would take me out to dinner. <laughs> and uh, so, and I'm still really good friends with those people who did that. It was a good experience, but I got a full-time job at a church outside Nashville as a youth minister and was commuting once a week from Nashville to Memphis. And like many people do, and um, really seminary really stretched me. Truthfully, I had a college professor that, um, and he's a minister as well and, and taught religion classes at Bethel. And he said, you know, if you're going to seminary, you're gonna get the theology. Um, it's okay to study something different in college. So, and it was wise. You know, he recommended using something I thought would help my ministry. So at Bethel, I majored in human services and minored in Spanish hmm. and then went to seminary and studied theology. And um, it was hard for me. It was stretching. I was hearing a lot of things for the first time. Um, the workload was heavy with the commute. Um, but now I can see how just like every other time that God was just preparing me for other things. And I, I talked to some of my friends I went to seminary with, and it's like, wouldn't it be great to go back now and take the same classes now that we have a different mindset, things like that. Um, 
so I was there until my last semester. I graduated and I was working at Nash in Nashville, outside Nashville at Jenkins Cumberland Presbyterian Church. And um, not long after that, I moved to East Tennessee, where I was the youth minister at Beaver Creek Cumberland Presbyterian Church. I was there for about six years, a little more than six years, I believe, at um, Beaver Creek. It was when we were there that I met my wife. No, I didn't meet my wife. I met my wife at Bethel, but we reconnected later on in life. And um, uh, we connected on Instagram. I sent her a message like, hey, how have you been? And then we started dating. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yeah. And now, because we both went to Bethel, like I said, she was from the Baptist church. And so she didn't have all the CP friends and connections before she went to Bethel. But since she was at Bethel, we were friends with a lot of the same people. And she, she had the CP connection after that. And she went to Bethel, played tennis and soccer. And um, she played tennis all the way through, but not soccer. Um, And so we knew what was going on in each other's lives. We had very, a lot of mutual friends, but we uh, had lost contact with each other. And um, we got married and um, just a few months after our marriage, we went on a mission trip together with the denomination, a young adult mission trip called Conectados, where we went to Colombia to do a young adult conference for other young adults. And um, I remember us being there. And at this point, I had already been to Colombia for multiple years. I started going on a mission trip to a different part of Colombia, and I would go every year. I would use my vacation time and go on this mission trip, and I I fell in love with Colombia and still had this interest in missions. And but honestly, you know, I was quickly approaching 30 and getting comfortable and thinking, you know, I've been open to the idea of missions, but I think the door has closed. I think that time's passed. Um, Frankly, I was starting to get phone calls and, and questions about if I would go to different churches and be senior pastor. So I was kind of thinking the missions door was closing and other areas of ministry were opening. Um, but we went on this mission trip together and I remember we were on this campground and we were sitting by ourselves and kind of the first time we had been alone since the trip started, uh, we were staying at a, a campground, but of course she was in housing with other girls and I was in housing with other guys. So mm-hmm. we were just sitting together in this gazebo and looking out over the city and, and I don't know who said it, but we both were saying, you know, we could do this. We could live here. This would be cool. And we didn't think much about it. We just left, you know, the mission trip ended. We went home and um, my wife got pregnant eventually. And we had Bella Grace. And about a week after Bella was born, Lynn Thomas called me and said, Hey, Patrick, I'm going to be in East Tennessee. Uh, My wife, Nona, and I would like to just see if you and Jessica would like to go to lunch and talk. I was like, sure. You know, I knew who Lynn was and I had run into him multiple times. 
spent time with him in Japan. Uh, I spent a summer as a, a short-term missionary in Japan, and he brought a group while I was there. And uh, so we said, sure, no problem. Well, keep in mind, we, we just had a baby. We were first-time parents, and we were asked to meet him at Panera restaurant, bread shop. What is it? Panera bread. (laughs) (laughs) I've been gone too long. (laughs) In the middle of the the lunch rush, we had this meeting with him. And now I am convinced, I don't know what he would say, but I'm convinced he wanted to see how we could handle stress. (laughs) Because being new parents, our baby was less than two weeks old, out in public, eating lunch. And while we were there, he just kind of, he said, you know, I just, I'm interested to kind of know if you're still interested in missions. If you guys have talked about missions as a couple, you know, what that looks like. And um, so we thought that was a little unique. And, and I had this feeling that maybe the door wasn't closed all the way. Later on, um, golly, I don't even know how long maybe a couple months, we got a call saying that there was a missions retreat that we were invited to, Jessica and I. And we said, absolutely, before we even had the details, because we knew it was the first time to go out of town and not have a baby with us. So we were (laughs) like, we're there. (laughs) And we thought we were going just to an informational missions retreat. And after we were there, we were there with several other people. And after we started into the conversation and stuff, we realized that we were learning about the process to become a missionary in the CP church and things like that. And, um, and eventually I asked the question, well, how do we know that we're interested, if we're interested in missions, if it's something that is a a doable thing. If it's something the the denomination would be interested in having us as missionaries, uh, how do we know to even start the process? And we were just given the response, you're here now. And we went, Oh, (laughs) and that was day one of two of a two day retreat. And where we were so excited to finally be able to sleep through the whole night without a baby Um, we didn't sleep any that night because our minds were racing a thousand miles per hour saying, is this it? Is this what we were talking about? And we, we prayed. And, uh, when it got late, we just continued to be up talking about possibilities, what our family would think, what we would do with our, our kids. Um, and the next day we were, um, talking about more things. And I asked the question, well, when do we know, when do we know when we should start applying to be missionaries? And we were given the response again, you're here, aren't you? And so we left that retreat and we were torn. For one thing, we were super excited because the idea of missions for both of us was an exciting thing. Uh, It's adventurous. Uh, Most missionaries have this uh, sense of adventure in them that they just enjoy traveling and being in new places and trying new foods and and being in 
in atmospheres outside of their normal context. So that side of, of mission work is super exciting. And I think takes a certain personality to be open to those things. Mm-hmm. Um, some people like to travel, but it's different from traveling is different from living somewhere. Um, and visiting is different from living somewhere. But we were open to it. And we started to run the, the pros and cons and thinking about that. The hardest thing for me was I absolutely loved my job. Absolutely loved the church I was at and didn't necessarily, many times when a door opens, a door's closing, right? We didn't necessarily feel like the door was closing. We, I, I think I could still be there right now if I didn't leave. Um, but we also felt so strongly that God was calling us to the mission field that we decided to continue in the process and just see what happened. Um, we ended up applying. We were approved. We did interviews with the missions ministry team. We did um, several trainings with um, Milton and Lynn and another missionary couple that was preparing at the same time. And the Beaver Creek was so gracious to us because when it became time to raise money, this is like one of the most difficult things that you do as a missionary is raising the money. It's the year or two before you actually leave, when you feel like one foot's already out the door, but you can't go until the money's at a certain level. And um, Beaver Creek, you know, I went to them and I said, listen, we feel like we're being called to the mission field. The next step is that we need to raise money. And this can be a long process and it's going to take a lot of my energy. I'm going to be visiting churches almost every weekend, maybe even during the week. And um, they told me, um, listen, as long as it doesn't affect your job, you keep on working here. You do your thing here, and then when you need to travel, you travel. Um, now, th- they also know that I worked super hard leading up to this to having a great group of leaders that helped me with the youth ministry. And I've, I had no fears of when I couldn't be there, having somebody else that had been working with me for years at this point to, to handle things while I was gone. Uh, so that worked really well, and eventually – we got into the spring of the following year and um, I didn't want Beaver Creek to hurt because they were being nice to me. Um, I didn't want the program to suffer because they were being nice to me. And part of that is knowing as a youth minister that the summer was quickly approaching and that our goal was to be gone sometime within that summer. Uh, And as a youth minister, I knew that some of the greatest relationship building times are in the summer. Uh, The work you do in the summer can provide everything for the next year, you know. Um, And so in about April, I told the church that I was just going to leave, that I really wanted them to hire a youth minister before the summer so that the new youth minister could have that summer and build relationships with the students. That was really hard for me because I just didn't want to leave, but really felt like it was the thing to do for the program. Um, so we, when we started raising money 
we were gracious enough to move into a retired minister's basement. <laughs> we lived about a year in Don and Marion Sweet's basement. Uh, they were in their 80s at the time and um, so gracious to us. I mean, kids screaming and crying. Jackie was born while we lived there. So we had a two-year-old and a newborn in their basement. And <laughs> I know we could hear them walking and making noise upstairs. So I know they could hear us from the basement. And then they were so gracious to us. And then in April, when I left Beaver Creek, we moved in with my in-laws in, um, in Middle Tennessee, in Lawrenceburg, Tennessee. And, um, and we started the process of selling everything we owned and deciding what we're going to keep and taking some things to my brother's house for him to store and some things to Jessica's sister's house and, and um, just awaiting the time to go. And so that's really how we got to Columbia. Um, for me, the process started when I was 15 and went on that mission trip to Mexico. That was when the first door opened and it took 15 years for that to come to be. Wow. And, and so, I mean, that's, that's just, to me, that's a testament to God and the way God works. God prepared me every step of the way. And even within my youth ministry, I had so many life experiences that prepared me for that stage of my ministry. For instance, I told you my mother passed away when I was 20. When I was at Beaver Creek, at one time, we had six or seven students in the youth group whose parents passed away within a matter of two years. Mm. And I know that I was there to help at least with those students because I could relate to them. Now, I don't think that God says, well, one day you're going to serve in the church and there's going to be a lot of deaths. So I'm going to take your mom. I don't think that's the way God works at mm -hmm. all. But I feel like God can say, listen, you've lived through this. You've experienced this. This is going to be useful for you building relationships in your ministry in the future. And um, so thanks to God that I think I saw that in a, at an early age and learned how to use my experiences for other parts of my ministry. Hmm. Um, and truthfully with my wife, she studied uh, human services at Bethel and then went and got her master's in social work at UT university of Tennessee. And she had a career in social work and the combination of my ministry and her social work and it's really just helped us out here. You know, it's combining two things that we love um, with Columbia. And so it's been fantastic. So you've been in Columbia for three years. Um, talk a little bit about how God is leading you, uh, what, what mission looks like and what your ministry looks like um, in Columbia. And I mean, you have packed up and you've moved your family, you've really relocated. And um, where have you seen God working 
uh, now, but in the past uh, three years in your family's life, in your personal life, but also through your ministry? Yeah. So, yeah, we've, t- we've finished three years. The CP Church does three-year contract terms. Uh, and the, the reason behind this is the average missionaries in the mission field three to six years. So it just makes sense to every three years evaluate. Um, we have already committed to another contract or another term. So we have another three years ahead of us. Uh, how has God worked in these three years and what's my ministry look like? We are in Colombia. We were given two options of where to serve and we chose Colombia. Um, and we chose Colombia for multiple reasons, but knowing that we would have to learn Spanish. The other place is the country where we, we don't have work right now. It would have been a complete, um, what they call a parachute drop, where we would just go in and try to start from nothing. And uh, I think most of us know that Colombia, there's a foundation in the CP Church uh, in Colombia that's very strong. But we knew that if we came to this country, we would have to learn Spanish. And not knowing what God might prepare us for, if we learn Spanish, we know that that just opens so many doors to where we could go within Latin America. Um, And language learning is a hard thing. It's horrible. <laughs> it's, it's very hard, especially when you're in your 30s doing it. Yeah. Uh, my, my daughter is five, almost six, and she has a better accent than I do. She corrects me all the time. It's humiliating <laughs> how good a child can be at picking up a language, but how hard it is for an adult. So that's one of the ways that we've seen God work is truly any progress that we have in Spanish, we say, well, thank you to God. In fact, the whole first year, my constant prayer was, God, help my Spanish grow in a way that I can only give you credit. And I think that that happened. I mean, now I function and I work completely in Spanish. And three years ago, I could not do that. Um, And like I said, I minored in Spanish. But truthfully, when we got here, uh, and my wife did an exchange program where she spent a summer, or not a summer, a semester in Mexico. But truthfully, when we got here, our Spanish was at a survival level. We could get in a taxi. We could get to a restaurant. We could somehow order food, but we couldn't have a conversation. And so the, the steps you have to take to get to that level for us, I feel like that was God doing that. Um, but we're here because uh, in Medellin, we've had CP churches in the area, some of them for 20 or 30 years, churches that uh, John Loveless started and that Bob Watkins helped with, and maybe even he started. I think he did start one or two. Of them. And uh, Lynn Thomas served here and Dan Gross, I believe. And um, But we haven't had a presbytery in this area. and just a few months before we moved here, they started a presbytery. So my job is to do new church development, work with new church development, and just help with the the growth and the leadership within the presbytery. Um, And so a lot of my job, truthfully, has been um, teaching Robert's Rules of Order, 
and not just teaching it because there's for many people there's a general idea but explaining the processes and how things go um, it's been working with young candidates uh, I'm now the the chair of the committee of ministry so I get to to work with candidates uh, a lot and um, we've started a a church in our house where we live in Rio Negro. Um, and this was because we had Rio Negro's 45 minutes to an hour from the city of Medellin. And we had friends who were CPs that were traveling to the city every week for church. And they were getting tired and said that they had other friends that would come to church if we had one. So we just moved out here and tried it. Um, and it's worked. We, we've grown to where we well, before this pandemic, we would have 25 to 30 people every week. Um, and you're meeting in your home. Um, so you are opening up your home for this new church development. And what I've been fascinated about is it isn't just Patrick, but Jessica is leading too. Yeah. Yeah, she, she's, she's got a, a role in it as well. Um, and it's something that's been challenging, but also truly something where we see God working. Uh, Jessica doesn't like being up in front of people and speaking in English. And uh, so to do things in Spanish has been even harder for her. And she helps with the church. If I'm visiting another church or something, she oftentimes helps. And then also she has a ministry called No Esta Sola. And it's for initially it was for single moms to help them provide for their families. And after doing a pilot session of it, found out that there were more women than just single moms that could benefit from the ministry. So she has a, a ministry where um, there are a series of classes where people come together and they study scripture together, but then also they'll have a guest teacher come in and maybe it'll be a doctor or a nurse and talk about childhood development or they'll have somebody who has a business sewing and they'll teach them about how they started their business and the idea is when they finish this program uh, then they would be qualified to apply for a micro loan that they could start a micro business to provide for their families so there's a little business in it. There's some marketing in it. There's uh, things about family and health to help with that aspect of it and the Bible study discipleship type relationship. Um, actually, this week they approved to give their first loan. And so Jessica's super excited about that. Right. Um, and the money for the micro loans came from... Um, I want to say CPWM, but I know it, the women's convention, the women's convention sent their offering one year to Columbia for this program. And the idea is that people will pay back their micro loans as much as they can, hopefully a hundred percent. And it will be a program that can continue long after we're gone. Oh, wow. Fantastic. Yeah. So it's, it's been really, really cool. Um, there are tons of challenges to being in the mission field, language learning, learning culture, uh, being lonely, missing home, missing Cracker Barrel, missing Taco Bell, <laughs> missing um, being with family. Um, but we've really seen how God has provided during those times when we're the most lonely, 
when we're when we miss home the most we always have something good happen that makes us say this is why we're here mm. um and so yeah there's highs and lows just like any faith journey just like any area ministry or any any christian there's going to be highs and lows but we've noticed that if we watch and if we look for it god will then reinforce why we're here and encourage us to to keep on going let's talk about some of your dreams and aspirations for the church uh presently but also in the future where do you see god working in in the Cumberland Presbyterian Church, where you're at, but also the church at large. And um, what, do, what are some of your dreams for the church at, in terms of mission and ministry and reaching new people? Yeah. Um, man, there's so many, to be honest. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm right now dealing with this pandemic, with the COVID. I know church and ministry is going to look different after, and it's hard to know how, right? It's hard to know what's going to change, but I know, and I can feel that there's going to be a change. So I'm really interested to see how the church changes with this experience and, and hopefully how we can grow from this experience. Uh, as far as missions goes, I, my dream is to see a way that we can get more people interested in mission work. And I'm not saying interested in mission trips and supporting financially or with prayers. Um, I'm saying finding a way that we can get more people interested in becoming a missionary and moving to a foreign country to expand the CP church. Um, and, you know, I've got ideas and I know other people have ideas of how we do this. I just hope that in the future, some of these ideas can come together and, and God will bless it with resources so that it can actually succeed and um, that we can promote more missionaries to go out into the world. A true fact right now is, um, right now, let's see, there's two Colombian family missionaries in the mission field and one waiting to go from Colombia. Uh, that's not all of our missionaries, but I'm saying from, from Colombia. But it's so much more difficult for them to raise the money that they need to be in the mission field because they would have to go to the U.S. They have to have the visas to go to the U.S. And then there's the translation problem. There's so many factors. And I would just love for our resources to grow in a way that when people were interested in missions, we could say, okay, well then let's go here and it be covered. Now in saying that, we grew so much in raising money and it was such a hard time that I think some kind of experience like that is necessary. Mm. It helps you prepare. But how great would it be if the amount that people had to do was less and that we could just know that, yes, this person's applying, they're starting the process. In one year, we know that they're going to be in the mission field working. Um, that's a dream of mine that the Stott Wallace Fund would be so full with money that we would be trying to find people to send out. Yeah. 
So that would shorten the preparation time and be able to hit the mission field, wherever that locale may be, much sooner, much faster. And then those who are called to be missionaries could then focus on the preparation, uh, whether it's language, culture, and all the above. Yeah. And then, like I said, though, it's important for them to struggle. And maybe that's part of the I did it, so they need to do it. (laughs) But, But truthfully, my wife and I grew so much and grew in our understanding of how God works during that time that I think everybody should experience that. But we could make the process easier. And, and I mean, just think if we had so much money that we could just be like, okay, this year we're sending out five people. That would be awesome. Uh, but first we need to figure out a way to figure out who is truly interested in missions and how to come up with some kind of program or something where we can really start training people to prepare before they're in their thirties, even, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. To be able within the Cumberland Presbyterian church to say in terms of ministry, there is more than just serving a congregation or becoming a chaplain. There is also new church development. There is also yeah. the mission uh, field and mission opportunities and so that as people are entering into the ministry or exploring ministry as a vocation and their calling, they will actually have more options. Yeah. The options have already always been there, but uh, more viable in terms of seeing it as a call and maybe not seasonal work, but yeah. you know, for a long-term call. Yeah. Well, I mean, just think what I said, it took 15 years to, for the door to open for us to leave. Yeah. What if I had those 15 years to prepare specifically for missions, specifically yeah. for new church development? Yeah. Um, you know, my boss, when we, Lynn Thomas, when we got to the mission field, he said, I don't expect much from you for the first year. It's all about language. And he was right. I mean, there are times we'd sit in our house, be like, we're so bored. And my wife would say, Patrick, it's like any other job. The moment you say you're so bored, all of a sudden you're going to get busy and say, wonder what happened to when I was bored. (laughs) And it's the same with language learning. The moment your language gets to a certain level to where you can work, then all of a sudden you're just constantly busy. But after the first year, he said, truthfully, I don't expect much for three years, right? Because you're still learning the culture and you're still building those relationships. Um, and But how great would it be if, if we could somehow be like, instead of saying, you know, it's going to be three years, it, what if we could say it's it's going to be one year and truly mean, you know, you're ready, you just need some adjustment time, and I expect these things out of you in one year. Mm-hmm. Um, it would just be cool to have something. Yeah. And we're capable. We have so many people who are capable in training and teaching these things who have the experience. Um, so I think that would be really cool. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing some of your yeah. dreams and hopes for the church. Patrick, where can people learn more about you and Jessica and follow your, your ministry? And um, where can you point us to, to, to be continue the, the conversation and be in dialogue with sure. you and support you. Yeah. First off, if I can just say thank you so much for all the support. I mean, we really appreciate 
the the support people give us through prayers and financially and we know that we wouldn't be here without those support things we're always open to connect with people and um even host mission teams and stuff so if people are interested in coming on a mission trip or planning a mission trip or connecting with us um, we have a blog and it's at www.wilkersoncpmissions.com and we have a facebook page and it's the same it's wilkerson cp missions and then we have an email it's wilkerson cp missions at gmail.com so right. it's really easy if you can yeah. remember one of them you can find us on our webpage blog our facebook page and our email all right patrick thank you and so please reach out to patrick um with your prayers uh your financial support and guidance and just to have uh contact you know and be able to uh, be connected and make new friends. Yeah, absolutely. Patrick, I appreciate you sharing your faith journey and inviting us to come along and to learn more about you and uh, to hear how God has been working with you through your family and through friends and patiently waiting for um, the calling of ministry and then sending you <laughs> beyond probably your dreams of 15 plus yeah. years ago yeah yeah <laughs> well i appreciate the opportunity to I, I like this podcast that you're doing and to be able to hear people's stories and I, I appreciate the opportunity to be here as well patrick i thank you and thank you to everyone for listening to today's podcast tell a friend and travel with us on our next journey down cumberland road Thank mm-hmm. you.